0: Hi, I'm Lucy Adams from Disruptive HR. Welcome to one of our podcast series where you'll hear from HR practitioners who are genuinely doing things differently. If you're looking to change your HR practices, then why not check out the Disruptive HR Club? It's got tons of videos, webinars and downloadable guides that will give you all the ideas and practical help you'll need. Check it out at www.disruptivehr.club. so hello we are here with another podcast for disruptive hr club uh, where we talk to people who are just doing things a bit differently in the HR profession. And I'm delighted to be here with Nabel Crowhurst, who is Head of People Experience at the, the retail clothing retail chain. You can fill in the, the gaps for me in a bit, Nabel. Uh, River Island. Yeah. Yeah. So hi, how are you? Good, thank you. Delighted Good. to be able to share some of the work that we've been doing at River Island with you and oh, with everyone Oh, it's that's lovely listening. to see you. So just start by... Kind of talking a little bit about River Island uh, for those people who are listening who don't maybe don't know the brand can you give us a kind of sense of the brand and and maybe a bit of information on how many people where are you
1: based that kind yes. of stuff just so we can get a sense of the scale of it sure so River Island is um, a fashion retailer um, it's been established as a brand for 30 years but has heritage of over 70 years um, it's a family-owned business Um, We've got around 12,000 people within the the business and that um, is across all of our retail network which is um, UK, Ireland, some international stores, um, our head office which is based in West London, we've got a a distribution centre in Milton Keynes Um, and in in the space of retail I'm sure for anyone that that works in retail will know it's it's quite a challenging environment to work in right now. Um, so we've had to work really hard at recognising we can't um, stand still and be just a, a high street retailer. We've had to be hugely competitive in the online space yeah. and really progress the business over the last few years to be more of an omnichannel um, sales approach and, and really listen to what our customers want because so many people now expect to be able to shop not only on the high street but also really conveniently online. Um, so that's meant, meant uh, quite a growth in, in um, the way in which we operate and the types of people we've brought into the business. And do you think it's,
0: you know, that classic expression, necessity being the mother of invention, do you think that it was the challenges that the retail sector faces and what you faced here at River Island that led you to think about doing HR
1: differently? Or have you always felt that HR could be done differently? Um, I think for me personally, I think things can always be done differently. I think um, if you try and do um, things the same in, in any business, you know it's really important to think about the context of where you're at and and the moment in time in which you're operating within any business and so um, accepting that things are just as they are just doesn't sit well with me personally. So um, I tend to be quite curious and want to think about how you can do things um, better or in a new way. Um, So I guess then that fits quite well with the culture of River Island which is also very open to um, considering new ways of approaching things, whether that be from a consumer perspective. Um, and our customer experience, or whether that's internally for our people and their their experience within the business, and um, so I feel like I'm quite fortunate to be in an environment that's quite open to considering doing things in different ways, which I'm curious to do. And your
0: title, head of people experience, was it that title when you came? Did you change it? Where did that come from? Because we're hearing yes. a lot of a lot of noise about people experience, employee yeah. experience right now?
1: Yeah, so I've certainly evolved as a, as a, as a person within the business. So when I joined, um, so I joined the River Island family about four and a half years ago, um, and my role when I joined um, was much more around being head of talent, um, and actually the role hadn't existed before. So despite the fact we've got a really long heritage and, and real success in, in, um, in our industry, what we hadn't done for quite um, a period of time was really focus on how we support our people. Um, and our um, HR director at the time and our CEO recognized we needed a real emphasis and focus on what do we do to um, help people to be the best versions of, them- of themselves in the business um, and so my my role was kind of born out of that. so when I joined, I was really excited because it was a completely blank canvas I could do whatever I wanted, (laughs) um, come up with some great new ways of doing things. Um, And so over the last um, four and a half years, that's just evolved. So my my remit has broadened. Um, I've seen real value in being able to bring together both um, the L&D and people development space, recruitment, um, bringing reward into that, um, and more recently, internal comms and engagement. And all of those areas. Um, under the umbrella of people experience and really bringing those teams together to be able to deliver a really seamless experience for people from the moment they join the business until the day in which they might, might choose to, cho- um, to leave us, but we hope that they'll potentially come back. Um, so yeah, no, definitely my role has evolved, and perhaps partly because I'm continuously looking for something new and different and I want to be able to build my skills, so it's been great to have had that opportunity internally and the business has embraced that, so my, my role didn't exist.
0: So let's have a look at some of the things that you are doing differently. And and we wanted to uh, talk about sort of three areas, really. Performance management, because you're doing some different stuff there. We want to talk about approach to measuring engagement. And then lastly, what I'd like to do is just to look at this kind of concept of agile HR yeah. and what that means to you. So we'll take those in turn. Let's start with performance management yeah. first. Um, just tell us, first of all, what have you got now? Yeah. So you know, what are you doing that's a bit different? Yeah. And it, then we can perhaps go and have a look at how difficult or easy was it to embed?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the topic of performance management just never goes away (laughs) in the HR space. Um, And what interests me is, despite the fact there are quite a lot of HR professionals and businesses being brave to move into a very different space of performance management, um, there are also an awful lot of people that aren't taking those leaps of faith to really challenge the traditional performance management approaches.
0: Why do you think that is? Why do you think, even though... The noise is so loud yeah. about the fact that it doesn't work currently and that there are some fantastic alternatives. Why do you think a lot of companies, because I agree with you, you know, even even now, there are still
1: um, a lot of companies that are wedded to that old approach. Yeah. Um, I think it's a combination of things. I think um, it comes down to, is the culture within the organisation open to trying something new? If it's a very traditional culture, um, then they may not be brave enough to do it. Um, I see us playing a role. I think part of um, the role of HR is to really challenge a business and um, to really question what's happening and really push um, leadership within the business to think differently. Um, and if you're not in that mindset and not um, comfortable to do that, then I think that's a bit of a missed opportunity. And I think often people um, just stick with what they know. Yeah. And I think that's a shame and I think that's something we should um, you know, really try and encourage especially in the HR profession, people to be bolder in their views um, and be confident to really challenge what's going on and, um, and have those conversations with their leadership in the business. So yeah. tell us what you're doing now then. So right now in River Island, we do not have um, traditional performance appraisals on an annual, biannual basis. We absolutely don't have a forced distribution curve um, or grades that sit beneath that. Um, And we don't have the kind of set timeline that most businesses have that use a traditional approach which says um, HR forces the business to say you've got to do certain things at certain times and submit forms and if you don't (laughs) do that then you don't get your pay rise and all those kind of things that go with it. What we do have is a culture whereby we encourage um, employees to take more ownership of their own career destiny um, and what they want to achieve. And that comes in kind of three categories, I guess, is the best way to describe it. So we talk very much around effective one-to-ones in the business. So it's it's simple stuff, you know, having a decent one-to-one, line manager and employee, but conversations that are really meaningful and and have purpose and helping managers to see what a one-to-one really should be and why it needs to happen regularly. Um, We've encouraged a culture in the business of in-the-moment feedback, so uh, recognising that feedback should come in all directions um, and it should be supportive and encouraging rather than always being directional. And the third kind of focus is around um, employee-led career development. So instead of having a yearly appraisal, what we encourage is for employees to take the initiative to go to their line manager and say, actually, I'd quite like a conversation with you about my career aspirations. Um, But the employee chooses when that happens. There isn't a set time frame of when that needs to happen. We suggest that you might want to do it once or twice a year. But even so, that doesn't have to be the case. And if someone doesn't want to have that conversation, that's fine. But within that conversation it's about being future focused, it's about the employee leading rather than the manager, and it's about giving people the support and encouragement they need to be able to achieve their aspirations in their career, and I think that's been the biggest shift for us. So how did you go
0: about getting employees, colleagues to take ownership
1: of that? Yeah. It takes a bit of time, so I guess we'll we'll move into the realms a little bit probably of what what our learnings have been from, from this experience of, of making the changes, um, it's not something that overnight you can send a message out to the business and say, hey, we've, we now have a culture of employee-led career <laughs> development, go make it happen. You know, it takes time to really yeah. work with people um, and re-educate people's mindsets and empower them to make them feel confident enough to be able to be um, the owners of that. So the way in which we approached it was a series of um, of different ways. So um, working with managers to help re-educate them in their mindset, um, working with individuals to help them see what... And when you say working with managers, was that workshop-based? Was yeah. it coaching?
0: What, did it, what form did that take? So we
1: actually created an entire programme um, mm. which has a, a, a variety of elements to it. So I, I guess our biggest learning, the whole... The whole um, Approach that we took to kind of saying to the business, you know, what, no, no longer will we have appraisals, but what we are saying is we've got this kind of framework that will enable you to still drive performance. Was that early on we didn't do enough with managers to say, okay, this is how you continue to manage um, performance in your areas. So we created a a development program which called Model the Way, and within the umbrella of Model the Way, um, we wanted to keep it really simple, and so we launched the program with four core modules that are aligned to. Um, the key elements of performance management. So a module around in-the-moment feedback, a module around um, career development meetings, and a module around um, effective uh, one-to-ones, and a fourth one around personal effectiveness. Um, And we basically said, for you to be a great manager and and role model, you need to be personally as effective as you possibly can be before you can can help others. Um, And within those four modules, then, we had a series of different initiatives. So each module's got a workshop that's classroom-based, it's then got a series of online tools to help a manager to be able to understand um, how they can perhaps have a really effective one-to-one. There's a series of toolkits that go with that. So for some people, they quite like a template. So I'm going into a one-to-one. I'd quite like a template to help yeah. me shape my conversation. Some people don't need that, and that's fine. Some people like to have a template for their own career development plan. That's great. We provide that. But we're not saying that you have to use it in a, in a really um, uh, specific way. And then we've built on that over the years we've we've taken a real sort of iterative approach to the program where we've said "Well, okay we've done the workshops we've done some kind of online tools let's move into the space of perhaps more sort of communities of practice and shared mentoring and different ways in enabling people to develop their skills that's unique to them so i guess for me I'm i'm a real believer of allowing people to grow their skills individually rather than taking the approach of saying, we're going to do a sheep dip management program and everyone's going to go through the same experience. There's some core fundamentals to model the way that enables people to have what they need to feel confident in our performance management approach. But beyond that, it's very much about, right, I'm a manager. I know where I need to improve is perhaps um, the way in which I land my feedback and in which case, okay, that's what I'm going to put an emphasis on in developing and practising new skills.
0: And the employees, because quite often when we're working with clients on this employee-led and employee-owned performance management, they uh, they worry about how do they get employees confident enough yeah. to go and ask for it, or even the right things to say to get the conversation going.
1: Yeah. Did you do something similar with employees, yeah.
0: or was it a different approach?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in the um, career development aspect of it, we ran specific manager workshops, and we ran people workshops, and that was open to anybody. So we encouraged managers to attend both, so that they could see both sides. Um, and indeed, you know, they, they need their own um, career conversations themselves. One of the things that worked really well for us was um, creating a kind of example videos to share with people what a really great conversation looks like and what a not so great conversation looks like. Um, So we got some actors involved in that to help us to kind of shape that. Um, and that landed really well with the business because I don't, I don't know about you, but in a workshop environment, if you suggest the word role play, <laughs> yeah. the whole, the I'm, whole getting, room, I'm getting kind of shivers yeah. in just thinking about uh, The it, whole yeah. room just wants the world to suck them up. So yeah. instead of utilising role play as a way of being able to demonstrate to people what a good conversation looks like, we decided to use um, professional actors to do that for us. So we created like a portfolio of videos so that you could have a little watch and and get some ideas as to how you can best manage a really good conversation. Um, So yeah, we certainly focused on employees as well as managers. Um, We introduced the idea of drop-in sessions so that anybody in the business could perhaps spend some time with someone within the people team to have a chat around um, how they might position their conversation before they speak to their manager. Um, and indeed afterwards, if they then had their manager's conversation and then they want some guidance and advice on what they do next. So we're very interactive as a people function with the business. Um, We've got a very open door to people coming to spend time with us, face-to-face, on Skype, give us a call, and we want to be really present in the business to help people um, progress in what they want to achieve. Fantastic. And how are you measuring the impact of it? Because yeah. you know, there's
0: always the the issue about, you know, well, nobody will have those conversations, yeah. performance will plummet, yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, how are we going to ensure that we pay reward and distribute reward effectively? Yeah. How have you kind of looked at the impact of all of those? Yeah,
1: we've taken a variety of angles, actually, and I think it's really important that you have... Um, a view of how you're going to measure the impact of making these kind of changes. So some of the most obvious ones, you know, engagement survey insights. Um, so we very sort of clearly aligned some of our key engagement questions around the performance management um, approach. So. For example, questions that sort of said, I feel like I get um, feedback from my manager that helps me in my career growth, for example. So we aligned some key questions in our engagement survey so that we could track how they shifted year on year. And we monitored that for the first three years. And we were able to see increases in the variety of questions that were um, connected, anything from um, 3% increase up to 9% increase in the kind of management and leadership elements of the engagement survey. So that was a good indication that people yeah. were feeling better about the way in which they were um, being performance managed. We also did a bit of a case study. So I, I kind of wanted to find a way of being able to demonstrate, engagement's one thing, but how do we really prove that a change in management behaviour impacts the bottom line performance of the business? Yeah. So we ha- had a population of people that I felt would have the most um, tangible KPIs. So within retail, our area manager population, because it's very um, immediate in retail, yeah, isn't it? You know, yeah. you've got numbers there straight away, and yeah. you can see the performance. Took that population of people and really focused heavily on their development as managers and their skills around the conversations they were having with people, um, encouraging more of adult behaviour rather than um, this sort of parental behaviour that we've historically had in the business, and ran a really focused program with the support of Sheffield Hallam University. Um, and the beauty of working with those guys is that they've got lots of really analytical super geeks that helped <laughs> us with the evaluation. And that piece of work we sort of monitored for around a year and we were able to see that the performance in our stores was impacted by around 6.8 million on the bottom line. And that was a combination of cost savings, because they were working more efficiently in their stores, but also um, cash revenue um, and generating cash in a different way because they were empowering their people to work in a, um, a more um, open-minded way to the way in which uh, you know, they had done previously. So that was quite powerful for me to use as a backdrop in the Absolutely. business, to be able to say, you know what, we can correlate management behaviour, increases in engagement with bottom line performance. So we've utilised that, we've utilised engagement scores and I also wanted to just check that what we were delivering was of a really high standard. So I engaged with Towards Maturity as a benchmarking platform to be able to say, you know, is what we're delivering from a a learning point of view as good as it possibly can be? Um, And for anyone that doesn't know about Towards Maturity and and you're in that kind of people development or learning space, I I recommend looking into them. I think they're a really great organisation that can help you to to benchmark the standard of which and the quality of what you're delivering people. Um, So we benchmarked our um, people function for three years and you, you kind of get an index score. Um, and so for year one, before we'd started delivering the programme and we hadn't aligned everything to strategy when I first joined the business, we had a benchmark score of, a, of well, I know the number, it's 12.86, which was <laughs> awful, but it gave us a start point for me yeah. to say to the team, actually, you know what, we've got to do stuff differently. And over three years, we moved into a score whereby we've now been recognised as a top-deck organisation. So that was an aspiration we set for ourselves internally to be able to then say to the business, this is some of the stuff we're delivering to you, and here's how it's been benchmarked against um, businesses externally. So we looked at a variety of measures, um, a series of different things, um, so that we could see whether what we're doing is, is, is moving in the right direction.
0: And just finally on this, uh, one of the objections that's raised about moving away from traditional appraisal grades, etc., is that how are we going to distribute the money? PAY, yeah, you know, so, it always comes up. Yeah. And you know that I have my views on this, but it'd be really good to hear, yeah. has that been an issue for you?
1: Yeah, um, to the contrary. So um, we purposefully separated out um, the way in which we manage performance and performance-related pay. Um, And that was for a variety of reasons. But for me personally, the thing that stands out most, having experienced working in organisations where you have a forced distribution curve, is that it's probably one of the least transparent, unfair approaches to distributing pay that I've I've ever come across. And I found it really hard in previous businesses where I've had to champion that as an approach um, because I happen to be in HR, and yet I fundamentally disagree with it. I think what often happens is that people feel more disgruntled if they don't get the grade they're looking for. And you, you tend to see more people raise issues yeah. after they've been given their grade. Because if the manager's not been doing a good job of having good conversations and the run up to an appraisal and they've chosen to use the appraisal as a point in time to land a ton of feedback and then label someone with a the grade, then the, the individual doesn't feel they're, um, they've been fairly um, given. I think you have more problems than where we're at right now, which is you, you completely decouple from that. And we've empowered our managers and leaders in the business to um, distribute their bonus pot based on a variety of different things, but using much more real-time performance and intuition. So giving them the accountability to make the decisions. We'll give them guidelines and we'll work with them and we'll have challenging conversations with them. Um, But we give them the discretion of how they distribute that money. Um, I remember sitting in a workshop a long time ago and someone sort of said to me, you know what, we allow business leaders in organisations to have multi-million pound budgets that they own and they make every decision on, and yet we don't allow them to make a decision on how much bonus to give to people within their departments because HR needs to be in charge of that. But why? Why yeah. should we be in charge of that? We should empower senior leaders in the business to make really sound decisions based on the performance in their area without it being in a forced distribution curve. So we've actually seen less issues over the last few years of people feeling aggrieved at what they've been given in terms of their recognition. So that in itself is a good indication that we're moving in the right, in the right um, direction. Fantastic. Um, yeah, Yes. Yeah, so that's worked well for us.
0: Let's just touch on um, a couple of other things then. Um, Firstly, I don't want to dwell too long on this, but you have internal comms. You have the broader engagement piece uh, within your remit. You've moved away from the annual engagement survey, yeah. and you're now doing more pulse-based surveys. Yeah. Can you just give us an indication of uh, of what methodology you've gone with? Is it sampling monthly? Yeah. You know how do you how do you um, work with that? And, yeah. and again,
1: what's been the, re- the reaction from the business? Yeah. So it's still quite early for us with that. So. Um, it, it just felt so counterintuitive. We've moved away from annual appraisals and yet we were still doing annual engagement surveys, so that just didn't make sense. So um, we got to a point in time where we we were out of contract with the company that we had agreed to do the yearly survey with and that was a great time for us to say, right, okay, how do we do this differently? So having looked at all the different providers out there on the market and trying to understand you know, the right kind of company to work with, we partnered with Hive, which are a great company because they also are on a kind of steep trajectory with continually improving their technology and the way they approach things, rather than being one of these very, very large organisations that are very rigid in the way they approach stuff. So where we're at right now is we've run a series of pilots in the business to understand what does a Pulse survey really mean to us and how might it work. Um, When I first started on the kind of um, journey of looking into this, I had had in my head that you go from yearly surveys to quarterly surveys, and that, that <laughs> constituted a pulse survey. But actually, you know, just on the journey of exploring it myself, I realised there's far more to it than that. And being able to be really responsive to the business. So we're in a place now, actually, where we can survey whenever we want to, to whichever population of people we want to. So the view is that we have a set of core kind of killer questions that are the ones that we use across the whole organisation that help us to see... What's the general sentiment across the business at any particular time? And what would be an time? example
0: of one of those killer questions?
1: Um, I suppose they're linked into things like um, pride. You know, I'm, I'm yep. proud to work for Rhode Island. I'm, yep. I, You Island. Know, I want to be part of the Ryland Island family. I see myself staying within the business. I feel, I feel like I can contribute to the bigger picture. Those kinds, of, yep. those kinds of questions. And then the beauty of having a platform like Hives is you can, um, you can adapt the questions to whatever is going on within, within an area of the business at any given time. So, for example, within our tech function, we have a lot of change going on in tech because tech in itself is is a huge growth area. So what we want to do is see whether, you know, is that population of people feeling okay, And if they're not, what is it we want to do differently? So we'll target specific questions to that area. Uh, We may focus on surveying them more regularly for a period of time because we know there's something specific we want to get out of it. And the other thing that we're doing is a, a trial around looking at customer survey data and people survey data, and the correlation of the two within any given retail store to see what the impact is on um, performance. Fantastic. So is there a store whereby the customer survey data is really strong, Equally, the people experience data is really strong. In which case, does that store perform better or worse than other stores where those two um, data sources are lower? Yeah. So, um, we're exploring stuff at the moment. I think it's gonna be really interesting. I mean, I, I, I truly believe that the result will be, of course, if customers <laughs> are happy and people are happy, there's no way that the performance can be down. But, you know, I'm willing to prove wrong. Not, yeah, you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, that's our, that's our kind of experiment at the moment with the whole um, people and customer um, data. Yeah. And
0: then the final point I wanted to talk to you about areas that, that where you're doing things in a slightly different way is this concept of Agile yeah. HR, or the way in which you and your team deliver. Do you just want to kind of explain what Agile HR means
1: to you? Yeah. So I think everyone's uh, got a bit of a view on this. It's quite an interesting one because I hear the word being used a lot. Um, some people will have the view that Agile HR is about just working flexibly. Um, for me personally, it's about um, learning from our colleagues in IT and technology utilising a methodology and approach um, to delivering work, taking that out of technology and into other areas of the business. So agile and scrum is something that's been used for many, many years within tech and within kind of project delivery. And over the last few years, it's been quite interesting to see how that's grown within businesses. And as it's grown within businesses, other areas, recognising that actually we can learn a bit from this and we can deliver in a slightly different way. So the elements of it that work really well for me, from the experience of where we've kind of um, We've just experimented with things within the team, is realising that you don't need to always deliver the full end product. Because we love it to be perfect. perfect. Yeah, Yeah, we're gonna spend six months in a room (laughs) hidden away making this program perfect. And actually the reality is when you go live with it, the business has moved on and it's like (laughs) oh it doesn't really fit anymore. So um, working much more iteratively, so delivering small chunks of things more quickly at the speed in which the business needs it.
0: Have you got an example of where you've done that kind of iterative approach?
1: Yeah, I mean the most recent one actually, we've just relaunched our careers website. And so you could have taken the mindset that said, well, we don't want to switch it on and make it live until we're absolutely certain that every single page is perfect and every bit of content is there that we want. We, we, just, we said, actually, let, let's go with the, the minimum amount of, um, of content that we're comfortable with. Let's switch it on and let's see what's working, see what's not, because we're going to use data analytics in the background to see what elements people are engaging with. As you would imagine, the elements people love a video. So we, we've got the data now to reinforce the fact that actually we need, to, we need to put more video-based content on the careers site and we can continually build and enhance it. So instead of sitting on that project for six months to a year until we felt it was perfect before we could go live, we actually worked on it for less than a month, made the site on brand, uh, functional, went live with it and now it's an ongoing continuation of improvement. Because the thing with Agile, that's really key is it's about constantly listening to feedback and, and looping back on that feedback so whether that's direct feedback or whether that's using data and insights to inform what you do next so utilizing that information then taking action on it and doing it in short chunks rather than massive long um long, long projects so I, I think that's made a real difference to the way in which we have been able to deliver it at the need and have and you pace. seen a
0: difference in the sort of credibility of the team the response of the business to you as a team since using this new approach?
1: Yeah, certainly um, because lots of areas of the business are on board with it as an, as a, an approach. It kind of helps, doesn't it? They yeah. get it. You've got a shared yeah. language. So when yeah. we talk about working in a sprint, you know, the business knows that that means that we're going to deliver a piece of work in two weeks. You know, when we talk about the fact that we've got a backlog of work, they know that that means there's a series of things that we've, we know we've got to work on and we've prioritised it based on business needs. So there's like a shared, there's like a common language in the business that they understand. So I suppose that gives us some credibility rather than it being our oh, HR doing their thing in their own little world. We've got this commonality across the business and they understand that we're equally trying to understand how they're working so that we can then apply um, an approach that, approach that works. And so yeah, I certainly think that's helped. And just by, by delivering more quickly yeah. You know, that, that helps because you're your meeting are your stakeholder you, needs. Are you
0: structured in a way that is more agile? So you'll have uh, people working, coming together in teams to work on, you know, new products for HR rather than the kind of traditional siloed of yeah. centres of expertise and business partners. How, how have you kind of
1: looked at the structure? We've got a bit of both. So yes, of course, you've got centres of expertise and we have got business partners within the business, but the beauty of bringing together my area of people experience is that it broke down the silo of very traditional L&D, recruitment, reward, comms. So within that arena there are lots of crossovers in terms of how we, de- how we deliver. So I, th- I think the best example at the moment is how we work really collaboratively on employer brand and how we translate that into internal comms, rather than that being two separate things in the business, which you know in a lot of, a lot of businesses, you'd probably have separate people working on things, and really then closely collaborating with our marketing team to make sure that the messages that we put out to the business are really timely um, and in line with what's going on from a customer point of view. So, one of the things I really wanted to encourage when we kind of formed the People Experience team was exactly that. I, I wanted, to, wanted to create a bit of a platform for the people within my own team to have that opportunity to work cross-functionally, for someone that perhaps has always had a career in recruitment to say, actually, I'd, I quite like the L&D space. I want to get more involved in apprenticeships, yeah. and vice versa, and, and um, create an environment that was open to that, rather than saying, no, oh, you're in your box, you do yeah. your thing, and when you've done your bit, just trade it over to me. So encouraging that more so, and that's certainly starting to really come together as a team.
0: And I think when you, when you take a people experience focus, It enables people to be more confident Mm. in a way because, you know, whilst I might not be an expert in reward or L and D I can contribute my ideas and thoughts to the people yeah. experience and I, I you know, this is what we're finding is that it is it's a really helpful way of breaking down those silos yeah. if you take this fresh approach to it, mm. rather than just try and just rebadging it yeah. and calling yourselves people yeah. experience.
1: Yeah, it's been really important for me to encourage that and to encourage opportunities for the team and for me to come together at points that are really regular and the way in which you update each other. So We're really spread out as a team geographically, um, so we rely really heavily on Skype and being able to catch up with each other in that way. Um, So we have regular stand-ups, so lots of short, quick update meetings, rather than being in a position where, you know, once a month you all sit in a room and have to do the round the table, and this is what (laughs) I've done for the last month, and it's just really dull. Actually, we do have a monthly meeting where we bring everyone together, but we use that as more of a social period of time, where as a team we come together and we do some really great fun stuff and really motivational things because we've had the regular stand-ups and the short updates. It means that we don't need to do the really long, boring um, updates in the monthly meeting. We've done all that. We all know what everyone's doing despite the fact some of the team live 500 miles apart from each other. So it helps with the workflow um, Mm -hmm. and the connection with one another.
0: Fantastic. It sounds like you're doing some really brilliant things. And I it just listening to you makes me <laughs> feel so excited because you know we see we preach a lot of this stuff and you're living it, yeah. you know. So um Thank really you. great to spend time with you. Thanks so much for doing it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more resources to help you change HR, check out the Disruptive HR Club at www Disruptive HR, club.